We're on Yavamas Lamadalam Abayz 34b2 in the Art Scroll Gemara. We just had in the Gemara the concept that women do not become pregnant uh, from their first time of having intercourse. The Gemara said that. Uh, we quoted uh, some of the halachic authorities to say that this doesn't mean that it's impossible to happen, but at least it's a significant uh, majority. Uh, statistically, they do not they, they do not become pregnant in their first act of intercourse, and the Gemara now will continue with that discussion in a different way from what the Gemara said earlier. But the Gemara will have a somewhat related to this, somewhat related discussion based on that topic. Just a brief in- introduction before we see the actual Gemara inside. Uh, the Torah tells us that the act of intercourse alone would render the wife to become tame, to become impure, and she would have to then go to the mikvah the next night in order to become pure. Now, the ramifications of being impure is that she cannot eat kudshim, uh, the food that comes from offerings, or go into the base amigdash. She wouldn't be allowed to enter into uh, the base amigdash, the temple. Um, there was also, this is not really connected to Gemara, but just apart to have a better understanding of the bigger picture, there was also a rabbinic decree, a separate rabbinic decree, that whenever men uh, have sexual relations, this is a rabbinic decree that uh, they then are, are not allowed to study Torah. They're not even allowed to study Torah, not about eating from the korbanos, from the sacrifices, or entering into the base of Mikdash, but they're not allowed to study Torah until they go to a mikvah. Uh, that was originally a rabbinic decree, a Takanas Ezra, uh, but then they got rid of that decree. They they got rid of that decree after some time, so that does that no longer exists. Uh, but that is the reason why why some have the practice of going to the mikvah today, of some men going to the mikvah today. That's one of the ideas of behind men uh, going to the mikvah today. Uh, but that is the background, um, and in addition to intercourse causing uh, the wife to become tame, to be impure, shechvas zera alone, uh, just the semen alone, also uh, renders, it causes somebody to become impure. Uh, just uh, being in contact with semen alone will make somebody impure, but that's only true if it touches the outer part of the body. It's only if uh, a person can only become impure in general, not just with regards to semen, but in general, the transfer of impurity only exists on the outer part of somebody's body, but not on the inside. If it only touches the inner part of the body, so then uh, that does not make somebody impure. Um, so just by the act of intercourse alone, in a regular situation of intercourse, so the semen at that moment in time does not, go, does not touch an outer part of the body, um, and so therefore that would not make, would, that would not make her impure, but the act alone would make her impure. The Torah tells us also that the act alone of having sexual relations would make her impure, and then the next night she would have to then go to the mikvah. So on that note, the Gemara says as follows, Tana it is taught in a brisa, Osa, Pratlikala, Rabbi Huda, The verse, when it describes this law in the Torah, which says that the act of intercourse alone would make her tame, would make her impure, and she would then have to go to the mikvah the next night. It says, Osa, with her. 
It has an extra word of osa with her, and it's an extra word in the, in the Torah, in the verse. And so Rabbi Huda says that's coming to exclude a bride. A bride, in their first act of intercourse, would not become impure. That's what Rabbi Huda says. The Chacham say no. When it says osa with her, it's coming to exclude having sexual relations in what the Gemara refers to as in the unnatural way. Again, the, the way that we described in the last recording, uh, not from the regular in the vaginal area, but really from the from the behind. So that is that is what the Gemara says as to what it's coming to exclude. So either Rabbi Huda says that a bride would not become impure uh, through the regular act of uh, sexual relations because it's her first time uh, having uh, intercourse. The Chacham say that no, it's coming to exclude a case where it's not done in the natural way. The Gemara now analyzes analyzes this Gemara. Amar lay hon braid Rav Nachman Rav Nachman. Hon, this is a, a a person's name. Hon, the son of Rav Nachman, says to Rav Nachman, Leima kasav Rabbi Yehuda haTorah chasal tachshite kala. He essentially he basically asks uh, he asks why why would you say that a kala a bride is different? What what logical reason is there to say a bride is different just because it's her first time? Uh, engaging in intercourse, why should that make a difference in terms of the laws of purity and impurity? And so he addresses it uh, in the following way, and he says, what, the Torah, all of a sudden, they they they, uh, they want to be careful with all the makeup and blush that she has on to make sure that she, you know, we're not going to say that she has to go to the mikvah because then that will remove uh, all of the makeup if she went to the mikvah, so we say she doesn't have to go to the mikvah. So he's asking it, and, uh, and he says, what's the idea behind this? Why would the Torah say that there's no impurity being transferred just because it's her first time engaging in intercourse. So Amr Le'er of Nachman says back to him, no, this is the reason. I'll tell you what the reason is. The reason is, is because in that first act of, of, of having relations, like what we said in the last recording, it's unlikely, it's very unlikely that you will be able to have a child. Since there's not even the possibility of having a child, so therefore there's no possibility of of becoming impure, which really reflects a, a broader discussion of what does where does impurity stem from? What is the idea of impurity, the source of impurity? Where does that come from? And many want to explain that the concept of impurity is about the loss of life or the loss of potential life. And so uh, engaging in the act of intercourse and uh, the release of semen or semen itself, that itself is, semen is the potential for life. And so the, the, the removal of that or just the touching of that itself would make somebody impure because that is the loss of, that could lead to the loss of potential life. You, you, you do not have the ability to create life with that if it touches somebody. So the act of intercourse itself also will make her impure, but it's only true if there's the potential for life. But if it's in the first act of intercourse where we say that she cannot, it's unlikely that she will become pregnant. So therefore, even that act itself it will not make her impure because there's not even the potential for the creation of life to view this as uh, sort of a, a loss of life. This is also uh, the, the highest form of impurity is, the, is touching uh, a mace, uh, the body of the deceased, because that is certainly a loss of life. And that's also how many explain the concept of... Uh, of becoming impure through a period, by having a period. Um, so that also is a loss of life when she has her period. So then she knows that uh, she did not become pregnant. And so that is the loss of potential, not loss of life, but the loss of potential 
uh, life. And so impurity is based on, this is how some of the commentators explain it, impurity is based on the loss of life or the loss of potential life. The Gemara now continues to explain this argument between the two opinions. Uh, the reason why we came onto this argument was really because of that last line uh, to explain Rabbi Yehuda why it is that a kala, somebody who's having uh, a bride who's having uh, sexual relations for the first time, she does not become impure. But now the Gemara continues in the discussion for a few more lines uh, about this dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. Again, Rabbi Yehuda says that uh, a kala, a bride who's having sexual relations for the first time, does not become impure. Chachamim say, no, it's coming. The extra word is coming to exclude a case where a person is having sexual relations in the unnatural way. So, what are they arguing about? But asks the Gemara, what are they? What is their disagreement about? Rabbanan Savri, prat In the verse itself, there are two words. There's two phrases. There's shichva zera, the semen, and then it says osa, her. Semen is coming to exclude a case where there is just the initial insertion. Of from the husband into his wife without the release of the semen, that would not make her impure because there was no discharge of semen. Osa with her is coming to exclude a case where there is a discharge of semen, but it is not done in the natural way. It's done in an, in an unnatural way. So both of those cases would not make her impure because it's not done in the natural way. And also, even if it was in the natural way, but there was no release, there was no discharge of semen. Because it was only just the initial insertion. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, Rabbi Yehuda argues, he says, from Sheikh Vazera alone, from the first phrase of Sheikh Vazera, of semen alone, we can learn out the first, the, those two concepts. From the phrase Sheikh Vazera alone, uh, that of semen in the verse, that's coming to exclude both a case where it's unnatural and the case where there's no release of semen, where it's just the initial insertion. In both of those cases, uh, we will say that she does not become impure, and that's learnt out from the phrase, Sheikh Vazera, uh, uh, from when it says semen, semen that goes uh, into the vaginal area. And then Osa, the extra, the, then the next word, Osa, uh, with her, is coming to exclude Pratlakala. That's coming to exclude Akala. To a bride, it's coming to exclude a bride who... Uh, is having sexual relations for the very first time. So that that is Rabbi Yehuda's understanding of how to read the different phrases in the Pasuk. And the Rabbanon, the first opinion, the, the Rabbanon, they argue, the majority of rabbis argue, and they say that no, uh, when it comes to a column, when it comes to a bride, she would become impure. And so there's this dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and the Rabbanon, uh, does, a, does a bride become impure when she has relations for the very first time? They both agree that when it's done in the unnatural way, or... There's no, there's no discharge of semen, even if it's done in the natural way, that, they do, that she does not become impure. Okay, that is the, uh, that part of the Gemara. The Gemara now has a few lines of just a, a new discussion. The Gemara says, Ki asa Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said the following. He said in the name of Rabbi, said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Another scenario where uh, a person cannot become pregnant is where after her husband passed away and she waits 10 years to remarry, she can no longer become pregnant. And as we will see in the Gemara and the commentators explain, it doesn't mean that she just uh, waited 10 years. Uh, If you wait 10 years, she cannot become pregnant, but it's that 
she did not want to remarry. She did not want to get married to a uh, to a second husband for ten years. So either there's a discussion. Does it mean that she has to have somebody specific in mind, or just the, the desire to get married? So it could be that as long as she just has the desire alone to get married, so then she could become pregnant, even if it takes her ten years, she could become pregnant. But there's a, a concept says the Gemara that if she has absolutely no desire to get married for ten years, so then there's some. Uh, Segula, some spiritual uh, element behind this that says that she cannot become pregnant if she does not want to get married for 10 years after her husband passed away. So Omar of Nachman, Rav Nachman says, this is what Rav Nachman says, This only applies if she doesn't have a mind uh, to get married, but if she has a mind to get married, so then she could become pregnant. So now the, the Gemara relates to the following two stories. Rava now says the following to Bas Ravchista, to the daughter of Ravchista. Now this is a story. The following is really a... The background behind this is a story which is found in a Gemara elsewhere, where essentially Ravchista was once teaching two of his students. Uh, he was teaching Rami Barchama and Rava. And his daughter was sitting on his lap, was sitting on Rav Chista's lap, on, his, on her father's lap. And her father asked her, "Who, which one of these two men would you like to marry? And so she replied, I want to marry both of them. And that's actually what ends up happening. She first marries Rami Barachama. Then Rami Barachama passes away. Rava happened to be married to somebody else at the time. And so she waited. She waited 10 years. And then after 10 years, she married Rava. So she ended up marrying both of them. The Gemara, in that, in, when the Gemara quotes this story, the reason why the Gemara is quoting this story is to, is to show the idea that, uh, that sometimes today children, uh, even after the exile, that children could receive prophecy. And this was a prophecy that the daughter of Rav Chista had, that she would marry both of them, and that's actually what ended up happening. She did marry both of them. She first married Rami Barachama, and then she married Rava uh, 10 years later. And so many people thought that the reason after Rami Barachama, after her first husband passed away, many thought that the reason why she didn't marry somebody else, because she kept on uh, delaying and not marrying other people, uh, was because she had no desire to get married. She really had no desire to get married. But the truth is, is that, as we will see, so the truth is, is that she did have a desire to get married, but she wanted to marry Rava. Just Rava was not available. Rava was already married at the time. And so she had to wait. So Amalei Rava Labas Rav Chista. So Rava now is talking to his wife. He's talking to, to his wife, who is the daughter of Rav Chista. That he, he tells his wife that you know people are talking about you because uh, you're able to have a child after ten years, and you waited ten years in order to have a child. So it seems to be like they're talking about you because maybe you really did have a desire to marry somebody else during those ten years, and you actually. Uh, had relations with somebody during those 10 years, potentially, that people are just talking because really, based on this idea of the Gemara, you really should not be able to have children. So Amrlai, she said to him, no, no, what's the problem? The whole time I was I was planning on marrying, I was expecting to marry you, I was hoping to marry you that entire time. And so it's not, it, it doesn't follow, this isn't uh, one of the cases where if a person doesn't have a mind to marry, if a woman doesn't have a mind to marry after her first husband passes away, uh, for 10 years that she can't become pregnant? No, because I did have in mind uh, to marry, and I had in mind to marry specifically you. Uh, that is that is what the Gemara says in its first incident. Now, another, a second story. There was a woman who came in front of Rav Yosef. She said to him, Rebbe, 
He says, I am, a, I am a, an example where I, after 10 years after my first husband passed away, I then remarried after 10 years, and I gave birth. So it goes against this rule. So Amr Law, he said to her, Biti, my, my daughter, or, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, in a respectful way, Al Totsi Laz al He says to her, No, what are you talking about? You don't, uh, you're, don't, uh, cast aspersions onto what the, the rabbis, uh, say. What are you talking about? How, how could you say such a thing? It's, it's not really true. So Amr she said to him, You're right. In the interim, during those 10 years, I had relations with a non-Jew. So it's, you're right, I really did have a desire. Not only did I have a desire, but I had relations uh, with a non-Jew. And so if, I, if you have a desire to have relations during those 10 years, so then this rule does not apply. Now the commentators point out that it, some say that it doesn't really mean that she had relations with uh, sexual relations with a non-Jew. It means that she had the desire for it. But now that she actually had the relations, the sexual relations, um, and others say that she was actually, it wasn't her desire, but that she was, she's saying that she was actually raped. Some of the commentators say that she was actually raped, but she felt bad because she got pleasure out of it. And even though she was raped, she got pleasure out of it and she felt, uh, she felt so disgusting because of it. Um, and so, uh, she viewed it as though she had this desire, even though, uh, even though she was really raped. And she she came to Rav Yosef. The reason why she's mentioning this to Rav Yosef is because she's coming to him so that it could come out and so that she could uh, really do something to sort of uh, do tshuva, to repent, or really just uh, to, to know that she didn't do anything wrong uh, because because she was raped, but she felt bad because she got she got pleasure out of out of that uh, that rape in the end of the day. Um, so that concludes the second story, the second incident of of this Gemara, and we will stop here and we'll continue with the Gemara as it discusses um, really a new topic in in uh, the beginning of next week's recording.